This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What would you like to get off your chest? Are you holding on to secrets, fears, or frustrations? We all carry around different stressors, both big and small. Don't keep it all bottled up inside. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and work through whatever is weighing you down. It's also a great way to learn to resolve conflict, change negative thought patterns, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Be Here Now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Be Here Now. After experiencing the transformative power of a regular meditation practice, it's natural to feel inspired to share this gift and guide others on their own journey of discovery through meditation. Join Buddhist teacher David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell, comedian and creator of the Netflix animated series The Midnight Gospel, for a free online event on Tuesday, May 7th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. They'll discuss the profound practices of mindfulness Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation, lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash beherenow for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell. Hello! And welcome back, everyone, to the Creativity, Spirituality, and Making a Buck podcast on the Be Here Now Network with David Nickturn. My name is Michael Cammers, your host and sometimes sidekick. And this episode is What the Heck is Mindfulness? Part 3, entitled Post-Meditation. For us householders, lay practitioners, the world is our field of practice. So what is mindfulness? Once we leave the cushion, are we meditating to become good meditators? What do you think, Dave? (laughs) I think it's all worth considering up to a point. (laughs) Um, You know, post-meditation is such an interesting topic because you're defining the life you have in relation to your much less time intensive practice of meditation. So I, I'm I'm thinking that you know there's that great jazz tune after midnight, right? You know it, right, Mike? Uh, the rock and roll tune after midnight is the one that pops into my head. Well, we'll I, I would sing it, but then we'd have to get into a whole other yeah. problem. So not, not around midnight is it after midnight. Oh, I was thinking around midnight. You're right. <laughs> I, 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 you're right. And then there's after midnight was the rock tune, right? So either way you slice it, let's let's take after midnight. Well, it's always both after midnight and before midnight. So let's say it's um, 3 a.m. That's clearly after midnight, but it's before the next midnight because things are moving in cycles and circles. So post-meditation is always after meditation, but it's also before meditation. The next time you're going to do it. So let's say you're walking back into your apartment and you've had a rough day. Um, that is both the post-meditation from your last session and the pre-meditation for your next session. And, and how can we 
use that time, incorporate that time into our sense of what it is that we're cultivating by practicing meditation. That's what we mean by post-meditation. Is there a way to include that time that we think of as just ordinary life as somehow part of the journey, part of the cultivation of all the qualities that we're trying to cultivate in, in the meditation practice? So, you know, those are good qualities. Usually pe people like us want to cultivate patience, compassion, insight, precision, gentleness, playfulness, uh, humor, um, some quality of awareness mixed in. So it should be fairly straightforward to dial those qualities in when we're just going through life. But what happens actually? What happens to us post-meditation, Mike? What happens? You get stuck in traffic, you stub your toe, you drop a dish, you know, <laughs> your, your, your wife leaves you. It's like a country song, <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's really two simple words that Steve Martin actually made incredibly famous. You know what they are? Please share. I forgot. <laughs> do you remember that bit he used to do two simple know. words oh it was a great comic bit you know um you know hey this is his wife hey steve you were supposed to take the garbage out and you left it all over the you know the kitchen and then two simple words get you out of it i forgot so forgetfulness is probably the biggest post-meditation obstacle there is now, it can leak over into, like, I forgot to meditate. So not only was post-meditation, there's no meditation because you forgot totally about even getting so much as your physical body to a cushion or to a chair. And then during the meditation practice, you can say, I forgot the instructions. And then after that, you can say, I forgot, I remembered the instructions, but I forgot to apply the instructions. And then, um, you know, the whole thing turns into a kind of blur and then you get up and uh, go about your life and you say, I totally forgot to even remember anything about the practice, uh, taking it forward into, into my life. That point, um, it's questionable. You know, the whole thing becomes questionable. So there's some remembering that is very important. And uh, the actual word for the closest word in Sanskrit for uh, um, mindfulness is smirti, which means remembering, recollection um recalling and that's one of the key elements of it is you remember to do what what do you remember to do mike place your attention in the present moment pay attention that's right you remember to pay attention that is between us and the deep blue sea and in some sense it's the only thing between us and the deep blue sea so Sometimes we're walking through life, we're not paying attention even vaguely. Uh, and, and literally, you know, the other day I was driving um, out, out to my house here in Long Island and uh, I was talking to a friend and it got into a deep conversation. I, and then I hung up and I realized, oh my goodness, for the last 15 minutes, I have no recollection whatsoever of having driven, being driving this car, of driving this car. It was totally autopilot. So I'm thankful that we have some level of consciousness that still functions without our attention, without our recollection. That's kind of grace in a way that we have that. But at the same time, you know, if I ever got lost on that stretch of road, I would have no idea where anything was or 
so the art of paying attention is what we're really talking about for post-meditation. It's the art of continuing in everyday life to pay attention. And can you do that while you're functioning in the world? What do you think? I did you ever play yo-yo? You mean play with a yo-yo? Yeah. Sure. Yeah, yeah that that's was a big big part of my childhood, definitely. That's what post-meditation feels like to me as somebody at my stage of practice. I'm constantly forgetting and remembering and returning over and over <laughs> and over again. And I think it's part of the paradigm of our practice is recognition of that effortless moment when our mind spontaneously comes back to itself or our awareness comes back on itself, right? And when we're meditating, that's the moment when we label our thoughts thinking and we're actually awake in that moment and we can cultivate our ability on the cushion to bring our attention back with gentleness and precision and all of the wonderful principles that we talk about. And so that remembering is seems intimately linked to that magic thing that happens that we're sort of, you know, to use our gym analogy, like training the mind to strengthen that muscle to do so with with non-bias and, you know, and to also not treat the wandering mind as an enemy, right? Yeah. <laughs> Which is a whole nother layer. <laughs> as some kind of um, uh, errant child that didn't do the right thing and now must be punished. Mm. Yeah. How many of us meditate that way? My experience is either you're lost in a fog bank or you're spanking the errant child. <laughs> and the middle way, there's this entire highway of opportunity to simply make an adjustment, fine tune it, come back and relax, really open. And that possibility is always present in everyday life. And it's like, um, you know, right now I didn't get a chance yet to clean up the dishes in, that I had for lunch, you know, because we had work to do. And I'm going to go back in there and that's going to be a sadhana and a half. If I see that as one inch different than my sadhana practice, than my actual formal practice, I haven't, I haven't understood this properly yet. So there's the dish. And you, if you want to find yourself a Buddhist master, that, watch them wash the dishes, period, over and out. I'm done with this conversation. Uh, you know, anybody can give the kind of talk. Anybody can understand the theory. But now you're down to the kitchen sink level. And I have not seen a great teacher who did not really understand that principle and manifest that principle. Uh, and yet, it, it, is, it eludes most of us quite like a, um, a greased frog that we're trying to grab a hold of. So obviously you could walk through your life like a kind of machine and try to be so deliberate and intentional about everything. And some, in, in some versions of practice, that's okay, actually. In the sort of more formal practice, we do walking meditation very deliberately. We prepare food very deliberately. You know, in a retreat situation, you really crank up the post-meditation experience to, to map to the, to the meditation practice experience. But we're moving at a higher speed than that most of the time. So just recognizing, as you said, just clicking in and coming back and building that muscle up without a kind of 
reward system. There's no reward for it. It's its own reward. It's one of the few beautiful things in life that's its own reward. I mean, I just want to just like want to do one of these. I, <laughs> I, I couldn't agree more. What could be more rewarding than actually experiencing our life? Well, shifting the perspective that it is worthwhile inherently, that mm. it's inherently sacred, it's inherently beautiful, it's inherently rich, and then really you don't need much, you know, you, you become simple person. That's how yogis are supposed to be. That's what a yogi means to me. It doesn't mean somebody who can put their leg over their head. It's somebody who recognizes the inherent richness and simplicity of experience and actually almost a kind of joy or, or delight about it, um, which doesn't mean, you know, you have to be, oh, I'm washing the dishes now. I'm so happy, you know. Uh, you can appreciate even your irritation at having to do it as part of that joy. And, um, you know, life is very, very reducible to simple moments of experience that come cluster together. The more confusion there is in the clustering, the more confused the whole thing becomes. The more directness and simplicity there is in the actual moment and clustering, the more elegant life becomes. Washing the dishes with elegance and appreciation. And no big deal. Yeah. No big, no big deal. So, yeah, I mean, this is, there was a Shambhala slogan um, with the Shambhala teachings, which emphasize everyday life so much, you know, and uh, they're, they're really spawned from that ground of uh, post-meditation. It's really key to it, actually. Um, there's one expression that says, don't soak the dishes. Mm. You, have, you have a bunch of dirty dishes and you go, well, I'll just put some soap in and I'll soak it overnight. They'll be easier to clean in the morning. <laughs> don't, that was one of my favorites of all time. Don't soak the dishes. Uh, you know, and on the flip side, it's not so much that like, you know, tiptoeing, you know, jump, skipping through tulips because you have to scour a pan. Um, you don't have to exaggerate any of it, but you do have to slow down to do post-meditation, right? You have to slow some kind of momentum down of getting to the next thing all the time. And uh, that's, a, that's hard. I think that's, that's hard for me. That's hard for everybody. Just to slow it down. Right now, I'm talking to Michael. Right now, that's... I'm talking to David. <laughs> I think that's the not skipping through tulips thing is, uh, is really good. You know, especially... Mm. You know, uh, we've talked about warriorship over the years quite a bit uh, or being a brave one, you know, and I remember you telling me it's not a utopian vision, right? Like mm. it, actually, it takes skillful means and awareness. So like, yes, it can be elegant and no big deal and beautiful, but also part of the path, like for me, right? Like I'm just speaking from personal experience. I'm very fortunate the last 16 months or whatever, but I'm home alone most of the time and mm. high, highly anxious. So that thing happens when my mind recognizes that it's wandered and I come back to my physical body, embodied experience of the moment and uh, my chest is tight 
you know, my mm-hmm, bre- my mm-hmm. breathing is shallow. Mm-hmm. Maybe my vision is like a little almost like flittery or blurry because I'm in this like anxious state, right? Mm-hmm. So a lot of a lot of people who come to us for training and probably a, uh, potentially a lot of people who might be listening to this, you know, like we come to mindfulness because we're trying to cultivate the ability well, we might not know it at the time. We come to mindfulness and we learn that we're cultivating the innate ability to accommodate those experiences, right? Mm-hmm. And inhabit them as, you know, I think we talked about on the last episode. And that's also challenging to to be like, to come back to that and say, and be embodied with it and be compassionate and gentle with that slowing down. And also recognizing that we're vulnerable. Speed is the experience of trying to crank up in invincibility mm. and slow down. You become vulnerable. You, you know, you're um, tender and uh, not completely guarded and protected. So there's an emotional valence too to, to the post-meditation experience, which lean, leads into a kind of compassionate sense of interaction. Um maybe being less of a hard hat, you know, with your opinions and kind of, um, uh, you know, choices about uh, defining and defending the borders between you and everything else. So, yeah, post-meditation is a really powerful part of our practice. But let's just end by saying, Guess what? You don't meditate. There's no post-meditation. <laughs> if you would like to receive the benefits of the practice, you have to practice. <laughs> yeah. So the, I haven't found a way to just skip over that and go like, okay, well, I can carry that view forward without the support of the steadiness of the actual formal practice. And really many, many great teachers have emphasized that enough that we should really uh, think twice, you know, about it. Um, And just to our friends out there, a reminder, come to dharmamoon.com if you want to share your experience and your practice with people like you, like like us and like you. Um, There's no big, uh, there's no big kahuna. There's no big brass. It's not like, uh, you know, the brass section. We got all kinds, we got flutes, we got, cellos we got percussion we have all kinds of expression and it's all encouraged and we train it's a dojo it's a mind dojo Dharma Moon is an online mind dojo and um, we're all trying to contribute to take advantage of the the opportunity to communicate in this way like the way Michael and I are doing right now uh, to to not just give up hope about um, and, and feel cut off and isolated from the rest of the world, which I think a lot of us do right now at, at times, you know? So um, the post-meditation could expand to include your whole world. Thank you, David. Thank you, Michael. In our first session together, uh, <laughs> many moons ago, you said we're all on the field together. So... With that, I'd like to thank everybody for spending this time with us as well. And uh, we hope this is of some benefit to you as you listen. Thank you and all the best. <laughs>
There you have it, folks. Episode number three of What the Heck is Mindfulness? I don't know the Star Wars movies well enough to say which one the third one is, but whatever the third of the three Star Wars is, is or are, um, you know, you could say this is like not our Empire Strikes Back or A New Hope, but like then those are like the sixth or seventh ones? I don't know. <laughs> anyway, we sincerely hope this episode was a benefit in this whole series, maybe helps help deepen your understanding of what it is to have a mindfulness practice. So thank you for listening. If you'd like to check out more of this podcast and support it, head over to www.beherenownetwork.com slash David and uh, check out all the great content there. Coming up soon, we have guitar wizard Robin Ford, lots of great guests and more David's views. We'd like to thank Melissa Mattern, our executive producer, and everyone over at the Be Here Now Network for assisting us in putting this together. And until next time, may you be safe, healthy, happy, and well. All the best. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What would you like to get off your chest? Are you holding on to secrets? fears, or frustrations? We all carry around different stressors, both big and small. Don't keep it all bottled up inside. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and work through whatever is weighing you down. It's also a great way to learn to resolve conflict, change negative thought patterns, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Be Here Now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Be Here Now.